If you have your Bible today, you don't need to turn to this passage. It's real short. You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. What happens when a nation forgets God? Just as nature abhors a vacuum, a culture which drives every vestige of God from the marketplace of ideas inevitably finds it has sown seeds that it will reap in the whirlwind. There's always a conflict between our allegiance to government and our greater allegiance to God. We always find ourselves caught between our responsibility as citizens of earth and our responsibilities as citizens of heaven. The church has always been poised between two gods and two crosses. On one side is Jesus, who died on a Roman cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins through all of the ages. On the other side are many lesser gods and other crosses that promise a false salvation. These other gods are almost always embodied in the state. A lot of dictators want to be God of the world. It's always been that way. I guess Putin would be the best illustration of that today. In the end, these lesser gods are committed to crushing religious freedoms. They hate religious freedoms. In America, we now have no more prayers at football games. No more prayers to start the school day. You know, they've had prayers at the starting of each school day from the beginning of this country. Until just a few years ago when they made the wrong decision about it. Today we face cultural pressures that are forcing us to combine Christ with other religions. Or to combine Christ with another ideological agenda. Christ must always stand alone. He must be worshipped not as one who stands alongside various governmental leaders of this world, but is standing above them as King of kings and Lord of lords. Whether it's Nazism or Marxism or secularism or socialism, the state is always in conflict with religious freedom. The more power the state has, the more laws it will pass to diminish the role of the church. The true nature of a totalitarian state is always hidden and always coached in the language of morality and progress and liberty. Back in the 1970s, Francis Schaeffer, one of the great writers told us that one day we would wake up and discover that America that we once knew is no longer here. In many ways, that day is today. 
One does not have to be a prophet to see the dark days that are coming to the United States. There are places in America where they burn our flag. I'm going to say something real ugly. I think they ought to take them out to a field and shoot them. That's really what I think they ought to do. These are ominous signs that the freedoms we once assumed were ours. Those freedoms are disappearing. Forces of secularism lead inevitably to a totalitarian state to which everyone is expected to submit. Have you ever noticed that kids can't sell lemonade on the streets anymore? What do we do? Do we just wring our hands and look forward to the second coming? The return of Christ is a cherished dream of every Christian. But until that occurs, we have a job to do. We have things that we're supposed to be about. And rather than fearing what is to come, we need to be about the work of our Lord, sharing our faith, Supporting and praying for our sick, we need to be about the task of building up our church. The stronger we are as a church and as churches across this country, the more influence we will have. Some of you are so great at welcoming visitors. We all need to do that. We all need to be involved in our community interfacing with those who have not yet met Christ. We need to be patriotic, supporting our military and our veterans that have meant so much to hold our country together over all these years. Let me ask that all of you that have served in the military, would you just slip up for just a moment? We want to give you folks a great big hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. We have the privilege of following in the footsteps of other Christians who have had to put their allegiance to Christ above their allegiance to anyone else. When you have that plan for your life, God is going to give to you a very, very special blessing. When you arrive in glory, when God is separated from government, judgment follows. Hitler did not encourage people, discourage people from attending church. He was baptized Catholic, but he abandoned his faith early in his life. He did not mind if others continued to attend church as long as they did not affect the way they lived or the values they held. In fact, he explicitly said that he would not interfere with the specific doctrines of the church. Just as long as the churches were teaching what was in the harmony with the good of the German people. He called all of this positive Christianity. Of course, he knew that he would encounter some opposition from those who were not on board with his vision of a toothless 
Christianity. Be he, but he believed that he could crush any opposition that he might encounter. And in effect, he did just that by intimidation and by controlling their salaries. Because Germany had a state church, the pastors were dependent upon the good graces of the government for their income. Hitler ridiculed the Protestant pastors, saying that they would do his bidding for the sake of their miserable salaries. Right from the very beginning, Hitler sought to marginalize the church. Worship would have to have and be a private matter between a man and his God. Hitler said, at all costs, the official state policy would have to be based on humanistic principles to give Hitler the freedom to do what he thought was best for Germany. He said that the churches must be forbidden from interfering with temporal matters. Since Germans had for centuries celebrated Christmas and Easter, Hitler had to reinterpret their meaning. Christmas was turned into a totally pagan festival. School prayers were banned. Does that sound familiar? Nativity plays were forbidden in the schools. Easter was turned into a holiday that heralded the arrival of spring. Of course, Hitler's real intentions were not immediately revealed. Soon after he was sworn in as chancellor, he paid tribute to Christianity as an essential element for safeguarding the soul of the German people. As he said that, I know he didn't believe it. He promised to respect the rights of the churches. He declared his ambition to have a peaceful accord between the church and the state. And when he said that, he really didn't mean it. He distributed a picture of himself coming out of the door of a church to show that he had religious sympathies. Hitler won some goodwill by appearing to be open-minded. The churches liked his use of the words freedom and tolerance. He assured them that he was doing what was best for Germany. Of course, what was best would be defined by him, not by the churches, not by the Bible, not even by natural law. Despite his conciliatory beginning, Hitler would later try to completely obliterate the church. In the end, he wanted to transform the church so thoroughly that every vestige of Christianity would be smashed. There was not enough room in the churches for both the cross and the swastika. Hitler said, one God must dominate another. Hitler believed that there should be only one God, and he thought that he was it. He did not want to share power with any man or with any God. Martin Niemöller and Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
built opposition to Hitler's intrusion into the affairs of the church. When Hitler heard that there was a group of pastors that objected to his agenda, he summoned the leaders of all of the churches in Germany to a personal conference. When gathered, Hitler said to the pastors, you confine yourselves to the church and I'll take care of the German people. When it was over, Hitler shook hands with the clergy and Niemöller realized this would be his last opportunity to speak his mind with carefully chosen words. He said this, you said, speaking to Hitler, you said, I will take care of the German people. That responsibility was entrusted to us as pastors by God. And neither you nor anyone in this world has the power to take it from us. Hitler turned away without a word and walked out of the room. One of the church members of that day wrote these following words so that others in later years would know exactly what they faced. I think these words are powerful. I feel like perhaps we should read these words every year. Here's what he said. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle in the distance, and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We, because of the sounds, were so disturbed by what we knew was coming. There was a train coming down the tracks, and we could hear noises as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in a car. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew when we heard those sounds, we would just moments later hear the cries of the people en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came just past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices just as loudly as we possibly could. If we heard the screams, we tried to sing even louder, and soon... We didn't hear any more trains coming by. Years have passed, and no one talks about all of that anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet we did nothing to intervene.
That is a powerful letter written to all people all over the world today. What train is rumbling past us today whose whistle we ignore? What is the role of the church in the face of governments that have excluded God from their policies? Hitler responded to the opposition of the church in the same way all hostile governments respond to those who would disagree with them. He created a flurry of new laws and then accused the pastors and church leaders of breaking those laws. In one way or another, God had to be separated from governmental policies and ejected from the public square. The voice of courageous Christians had to be silenced. God had to be removed to make way for Hitler's National Socialistic Party. Did you notice this last week on Tuesday night that there was a lady in New York City that won her primary, an avowed socialist that wanted that view to cover our country? Socialists believe that you need to vote for them because the government should be in charge of everything. They want everybody to turn away from God and toward the government. They believe that God and the church should be marginalized. Our military has often fought and died for the principle of freedom. These dear people that stood up just a few moments ago, they have saved our country. And those before them that gave their lives, those before them that came back desperately wounded, that had to live the rest of their lives with all kinds of serious physical maladies, they did all of that to keep us free. When God is separated from government, judgment always follows. That which is legal might also be evil. We need the principles of God's word taught all over our country. If the socialists rule, our country is doomed. We should have no God. In front of our God. This morning if you're here in the service. And you would like to make a public profession of your faith in Christ. We certainly want you to do that. That's what's going to build this country. And the lack of it is what is going to tear down our country. We hope and pray that you've heard enough of the gospel. Somewhere along in your life. Perhaps even in this church. That you can make a decision to give him your heart and your soul and your mind. And let him be the boss of your life. Those of you that are here today that need a church home. You've been visiting with us for a period of time. We want to invite you to come and join and stand with us and help us. As we're trying not only to reach 
the area immediately around us, but we're trying to reach beyond those boundaries to Florida, to the United States, and literally around the world. We support many, many missionaries, and we're trying as best we can to fortify their work, and we want you to help us to do that. Perhaps there are some in the house that would like to come and say, you know, I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I've been like the prodigal son. I've been way away from the Lord, and I need to come back and recommit my life to him. However the Lord would lead you, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If you'd like to make a decision for Christ, just slip out and slip forward as we sing. Let's stand together.